is the Practical Medicine Podcast again, and we are Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki and Dr. Rob Balco. And it's our goal to bring awareness to the public at large about the many different ways to maintain health and heal your body, mind, and spirit from acupuncture to Zen living and everything in between. Today is episode 17, and we will be talking about eczema with our special guest, Juliette Ayana. She's an herbalist and board-certified acupuncturist. Um, I actually, the only eczema case I've ever treated is my own daughter, I have to confess. Um, I don't know about you, Rob. I really haven't treated it. Okay. Um, so I would love to ask Juliette to share anything that you want to start the show off with, let... Um, people know about you, what you're passionate about, and how you help people manage. Now, eczema isn't the only thing that Juliet treats, but it's the first thing that we wanted to start off with and have her share with us. So just share a little bit with our listeners about yourself. Sure. Thank you both for having me. I'm so happy and excited to be here um, because I love Chinese medicine. I'm a total herb nerd. Um, and, and so that's partly what attracted me to treating dermatological conditions because we mostly treat with, uh, herbal medicine if you're, if you practice Chinese medicine, um, as opposed to acupuncture, but we'll get into that later on. Um, so yeah, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, I love it. It's my passion. I absolutely love natural medicine. Chinese medicine continually amazes me every single day. Um, and in the beginning of my career, I wasn't doing a lot of dermatology cases would walk in my door and, um, you know, I could treat them, oh, you know, it was okay. Um, but then, um, about 13 years ago, I gave birth to a boy who was born with eczema and food allergies, and then eventually asthma, um, which is part of this atopic dermatitis march. Um, and you know, in the very beginning, um, I, no one really knew what was going on with his skin, even his doctors, <laughs> they were like, oh, it's just a rash. It'll go away. Um, and I, I knew that it was eczema and, uh, I just took dairy out of my own diet because I was nursing him and that helped a lot. It really, really helped him a lot. But there were still some things going on. And eventually, by the time he was about six months old, I suspected he had food allergies. So I brought him to an allergist and he was tested. And we found numerous food allergies. And uh, what, like one of them, for example, which he's now grown out of was egg. Um, every time I'd eat an egg in the morning and then nurse him, he'd get hives. And, you know, no one knew what was going on. And then when I, um, once he was diagnosed with an egg allergy, it all made sense. Um, so, so he's doing really, really well because I treated him and, um, he doesn't have really intense eczema. He rarely flares. Um, and when he does have eczema, it's just like follicular eczema, basically. Um, he does have dry skin, you know, so we have to keep, he's, he's learned to, um, take care of his skin and moisturize every single day after he gets out of the shower. I used to help him with that, obviously when he was little, but it became a habit. Right. Um, and then when he was older and, you know, I figured this is time for you to do this for yourself. I would just like 
you know, remind him every time he came out of the shower, when he would go in, make sure you put the moisturizer on and then wake me up and knock on the door. Did you put your moisturizer on? And now I don't have to tell him anymore. It's, it's, right. but he's reaping the rewards of it. You know, he knows when he doesn't use it, that he will feel dry and itchy. Um, but really that's pretty much all he deals with is truly dry skin, not eczema skin. Right. Um, so that's been wonderful. And, and it really, you know, that's, that's what made me dive headfirst into studying Chinese medicine, dermatology. Of course, my mother's calling and I turned <laughs> off my alarm. I, you know, I had a feeling that was going to happen. I was like, who would call me while I'm in a podcast? My mother. Now, just real quick, prior to, to mm -hmm. focusing on dermatology, you focused a lot on gynecological issues, correct? Yeah, I did. I did. And, and I'm so sorry. That's okay. I just have to. I don't know why she knows I'm doing this. Sorry. And I'm trying to turn it off now completely. I, I apologize. Ugh. Okay. So, okay. So yes, I was, I was focused on women's, uh, women's health and pelvic health and, you know, menstrual problems. Um, and at some point my clinic in new york just became famous for fertility it was just something we were doing and then next thing you know that was just our our reputation and um and sex in the city helped too a bit once they had that one um episode about chinese medicine you have to take the herbs yes uh, <laughs> you do after that i mean we were already busy with it but after that our phones were ringing off the hook it was it was amazing um but you know both of these um uh, specialties really require herbal medicine. And, you know, when it comes to reproductive endocrinology, it is really intense. Um, and you really have to think about things extraordinarily critically and take each person as their own person right. um, in order to figure out what's going on for them and how you will design a unique treatment plan for that person. And as time moves on, you change. Um, that's sort of Chinese medicine in general, but you know, and the same thing with with dermatology. It's it's so interesting to me, and I think that the the complexity of treating women's health and also treating dermatology go hand in hand. So I, I felt prepped. You know, by the time I got there, I was very well versed in, in herbs and. Um, the the style of herbalism is a little bit different with dermatology. Um, you know, I know this this podcast mostly for lay people, so I won't get into all of that. You know, the schools of thought and stuff like that. But it was a little bit different. So, you know, I learned even more about um, different methods for treating. Right. Um. So, Juliet, what is the typical Western way of treating eczema? Yeah, so mainstream medicine, you know, they utilize pharmaceutical drugs to manage dermatological diseases. Um, so a lot of people are very familiar with topical steroids. Um, they do have side effects when they're overused. And unfortunately, because eczema is a chronic relapsing condition, it's very easy for steroids to be overused. They work efficiently. They will bring down a flare for most people very quickly. So then people use them over and over again and doctors hand them out. Right. Um, and that can lead to lots of side effects like in skin thinning that cannot be reversed. I was um, just gonna say skin thinning. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's with a that's many years of use, but it you can't it's irreversible, and that's bad because this is a skin barrier disease. Right. So to um, harm the skin in that way over time is is not helpful in the long run. Um, and then a lot of people go into topical steroid withdrawal, which I also treat a lot of people into who are dealing with TSW, red skin syndrome. Um, and that can last a year and it's, it's really hard, horrible for people to go through that. Right. Um, they'll use internal or topical antibiotics. And, um, this is one treatment that, um, when I am working with patients using natural medicine, if they need it, I will them to go get it because it, it's used for staph infection. So if there's a significant amount of staph, they just won't get better and we have to clear it up. So antibiotics is the best course of treatment to do that if it's resistant to herbal treatment um, right. or even any other steroid treatment and things like that, they really need to go to antibiotics. Um, but everybody's being very careful about that Western medicine as well as um, obviously natural medicine practitioners. Um, there are biologics or immunosuppressants, and um, a lot of people don't want those. They don't want any type of immunosuppressant, and especially now in the age of COVID, people want to get off of immunosuppressants. Um, and then there's a newer therapy um, known as dupixent or uh, dupilumab, and that is uh, those are weekly or bi-monthly injections. They're not an immunosuppressant. Um, that treatment is meant to be used forever. Um, and insurance companies tend to cover only a short course of treatment. They don't tend to, you know, pay for it ongoing. Um, so with insurance, that's like could be up to $100 a week. And then without insurance, you're looking at over $3,000 a month for a four-week supply. It's pretty wild. Um, you know, and sometimes they, you know, they also tell their their patients use emollients, which we all, you know, recommend daily showering or bathing, like using ceramide creams, things like that. Um, some, some home skincare. But my understanding is that dermatologists spend maybe 15 minutes with a patient, um, not that much time. So when people come to me, it's interesting because even though they may have had eczema for their whole life or parents of children, when they bring their children to me, their dermatologists have not taught them how to really care for the skin, um, which is, you know, part and parcel, I guess, when you're having to deal with insurance. Right. And you're, you're constrained by that time. Um, right. So, so in addition to like when you're doing a consult with them, you're talking about herbs and dietary changes and lifestyle changes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's a very holistic approach. Um, you know, herbal medicine is absolutely the mainstay of the treatment, um, and it is customized for each patient. So although you may have atopic dermatitis or a pomphalix, you know, eczema, no one gets the same herbal formula from me. You get what you need. Uh, there's certainly building blocks that are common that we use for um, certain presentations or, you know, how hot it is or if it's weepy or something like that. You may see blocks of similar herbs within formulas, but everybody gets something different. Right. Um, it's really unique. And then as time goes on, that formula changes. So I see them once per month and we change the, I change the formula as time goes on. Right. Um, yeah. I just wanted to point out that that's one of those things that we keep talking about in each of the podcasts that 
with different conditions that people have, we're always looking at the person in front of us. So just because someone says that they have, you know, and you can see that they have eczema, that six people will have it and there'll be maybe the, like you said, the base formula will be the same, but there's going to be variations. We're always trying to look at exactly who's in front of us and not just cookie cutter the medicine. Um, which right. is what's so beautiful about it. And I think why it works so well, because we are taking that person into consideration and their dietary habits and all these other things. Um, so are you using both internal and external herbs or just one? Yes, absolutely. This is, um, this has to be treated from both sides. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, you know, as I said before, this is a skin barrier issue. So it's like, it's kind of like the skin is leaky. So, you know, environmental toxins, um, allergens can get in, dryness, wind, heat, all kinds of things can really sort of make its way in bacteria. Um, so it's really important that our patients learn to care for their skin in terms of using emollients. I love ceramide creams. Um, there's lots of stuff that's just like out on the general market that you can get from, you know, your drugstore or wherever you like to shop that are simple, not too expensive. And then I often combine them with um, Chinese herbal topical, you know, they're, they're medicinals, basically, uh, ointments and creams. And then what I have them do is, I always say, what we have to do is use the most important medicine first. So the medicated cream uh, goes on first, and then we will put on the bland emollient, like CeraVe or something like that, Eucerin or something along those lines. And that way we can really seal in um, everything and it, it closes the, the dermal layer. Yeah. Um, bathing is really important. How to bathe, how long to bathe. Um, I have some folks come to me and they've been, you know, afraid to bathe. They won't because sometimes it does actually hurt the skin, especially if they're extremely dry and cracked. So I slowly get them to, um, you know, as they're moisturizing, they'll be able to withstand taking baths or showers once again. And then when, the, you, when we shower for about 10, 15 minutes or bathe for 10 or 15 minutes, it helps us to bring water in and then we seal it with the ointments and creams to avoid the trans-epidermal water loss. So we're really just like sealing it in, you know? It's called, so sometimes we also do something called soak and seal, and that can either be you soak and then you put everything on. And then sometimes there's even like eczema clothing that you can wrap up in, or you like, there are sleeves or even pants and things like that. And you can put it on either troublesome spots. And you know, if it's widespread, it can be used throughout the whole body. So we wet that layer put it on and then put a dry layer over it. And if people can tolerate sleeping with it overnight, that's fantastic. And some can only really deal with it for, you know, a few hours, but even if, if it's three or four hours, it can be very, very, very helpful. Are there parts of the body that are more susceptible to eczema? So, you know, it, yeah, and it, and it depends on um, the type of eczema. So there are numerous types of eczema. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just point out with atopic dermatitis, for example. So um, from birth to about two years old, we're going to see it mostly on the face, the chest, and the head. 
Um, and then from about two years old to puberty, we tend to see it on the elbows, usually the inner elbows, back of the knees, wrists and hands. Although I've definitely seen it on the front of the knees as well in those um, that, that, that age group. And then for teens and adults, oh, 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 and also, sorry, for, for up to puberty, we can also see it behind the ears, around the eyes and the mouth, right? So we're getting to a much larger area. And then for teens and adults, all of those places, hands, the scalp, um, elbows, around the eyes, eyelids, nipples, groin, underarms, like, I mean, it can really go lots of places. Um, you know, as I said, there are so many other ones. I'll just put one example out there with pomphalic eczema. It's also known as dyshydrotic eczema that affects the, the fingers and the palms of the hand or the soles of the feet. We usually see that for people under the age of 40. Um, but even with that, I mean, I've seen lesions pop up anywhere and, right. you know, um, and, and in skin of color, a really typical presentation is follicular eczema, and that can be pretty much anywhere. I notice it particularly on the arms, legs, and abdomen. Which I'm uh, one of the things that I love in following your journey is how much you educate yourself on being able to recognize what the presentation is when their skin of color, what the healing is going to look like when their skin of color. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that was born out of, um, well, my son is mixed, right? So that was part of it. His presentation was different than what the books told me they would be. Right. And, and it was a little confounding at first because not only did the Chinese medicine or Asian medicine books say, this is where it will be and this is what it will look like, but so do m mainstream medicine books, right? Mm -hmm. Everything you look up online. And, and what do we see? We see the vast majority of images are on light and white skin, right? right? So, you know, it, and, and I'm, I'm in New York City. So every, every color of the rainbow walks through my door. And as I was working with, with folks, I'm recognizing this is not what I was taught. Right. So, so how do I deal with this? And, um, you know, it, I found um, the Skin of Color Society, which is a, a mainstream medicine society, and they um, host lots of, of wonderful, wonderful seminars. So I've taken pretty much every single seminar from them that I can possibly get on. And then there are various other um, associations that are really starting to recognize that this is a problem. Um, and they're hosting all kinds of seminars about skin of color for eczema and other dermatological diseases right. as well. And, and that has helped. Sorry, go ahead, continue. No, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say, even if you, as like, I can imagine if someone of color starts trying to figure out what's wrong and starts Googling, it makes it even hard for them to look at what might be the battle for them when the images online are of all of pale white skin. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, there was a, a mom, um, a, a, she's a black woman, was having the same issue trying to figure out what's going on with her child's skin. And she started a movement called Brown Skin Matters. And she has a great um, um, IG page. 
And um, so people will send in photos of their own skin, you know, and, and say, this is what I think this, what I have, or this is what my doctor said the diagnosis was, and they post it. Um, and it's been a really wonderful place to, to also follow and take a good look at, at skin. And then I also found um, an app, and it's also an online uh, service. It's called Visual DX. And it's for doctors and practitioners. And it has the largest library of dermatological photos of skin of color. They have everything on there, but they have the largest library for skin of color. So I've subscribed to that. Um, and that has also been helpful because I'll just scroll through it and look and look and look and look and look. The mind doesn't know what the eye doesn't see, right? right. So until we continually see it, and then we can start to recognize, oh, that's what this is, you know, right. and, and it certainly presents very differently. There are, so there, there's this, something called the Fitzpatrick scale and it acknowledges six phototypes, which is how easy or hard it is for you to get a sunburn essentially. Right. But we often use that scale to um, discuss things, uh, you know, say, well, this person is, um, you know, number four on the Fitzpatrick scale or five or six. Um, and so that's also been helpful to to utilize that in presenting cases um, and, and trying to figure out different different things going on there. And, you know, it's so interesting, too, because in Asian medicine, and this is sad. This is really a failure of, of, of the books that have come out, most of them, except for pretty much, well, one major book. No photos, just <laughs> discussion. And and those and that discussion is based on lighter skin. And even though in Asia there is definitely a gradient of skin, of some Asian skin is definitely skin of color, and the presentation and hyperpigmentation post-hyper-inflammatory hyperpigmentation will be different than other skin types that are Chinese-Asian. Um, even with that, we still get this very basic, okay, erythema is red. That's what you're going to see. That's not what we always see. Right, right. Right? So... So there's this huge failure. A book came out recently. Uh, it's a great, it's a great book. It's a great resource on on psoriasis. N not a dark, all white skin, all white skin. Yeah. The only I, there's only been one teacher who I have seen present skin of color. It's most mostly been um, Southeast Asian people. Um, that's who you know where he, he's in, out of the UK. So there's a large community there. I don't ever remember, I've taken so many of his classes, I don't remember um, if there were any African or Afro-Caribbean skin in his course. And that could also be, like, he only does case studies, right? He's not showing any other photos. So there, who comes into his office? And so perhaps that's the reason that we're not seeing that. Maybe that population just isn't walking into his office. They definitely walk into my office. Everything comes in. Right. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's, it's really, um, it's really interesting. And when, so I'm creating a course right now to, to treat about how to treat atopic eczema for professionals. So aside from some of my own cases, I will also be using images from visual DX so that right. we can really see a broad spectrum of presentations. Right. Um, and I'd like to tell you about some of them. Yes, that would be fantastic. Um, and, and so, and one of the things that, that I want to say is that when we think about um, skin of color, 
and the presentation that's really important that when we speak about it, we don't say it's different from, or how is it different? Because when we say that, then we are assuming a Eurocentric way of viewing the world and viewing skin, right? right. So I, I just like to say simply in skin of color, here's what we see. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we can see, sometimes we do see redness and erythema, right? But it's often masked by pigment. And in Chinese medicine, when we see that, a lot of practitioners will assume that means blood stagnation, but it's not. It is extreme heat. Um, and so then the way that they treat it will be different, and that might be reason for failure of the treatment. Um, lichenification, which is thick, raised, sometimes it looks even leathery skin, um, and that's usually the result of constant scratching or rubbing. Um, and is that in skin and, and fair skin, or just that's more so skin of color? We do see it in both, but you see it more often in skin of color. Okay. Um, there's hypo and hyperpigmentation, which again, we can see anywhere, but it's particularly troublesome for patients with skin of color because it is so clear, right? Um, and like hypopigmentation often comes from scratching too much. And then there'll be like a lot of like super white skin. And, um, that's, that's a problem or it's, or it's hyperpigmentate pigmented and, um, people feel very uncomfortable with how their skin looks so different, um, from their regular skin. Does that end up scarring for most skin types or? Um, no, At, well, Chinese medicine does a really good job of treating it. So one of the things that we have to do is be very, very aggressive about stopping the itch, which means reducing inflammation. When we do that, then we can stop that itch scratch cycle and the skin is able to heal. So I've seen wonderful, amazing healing from either hypo or hyperpigmentation. Everything can basically just go back to normal skin. It takes some time, but it's, it's doable. Um, do you also, um, in addition to the herbs and topicals, do you have them make a lot of dietary modifications? Like you mentioned that you knew with your son, you were able to figure out foods that you were eating that impacted him. Do you have patients do elimination diets? Do, or is there a list that you generally know are food triggers or... Well, I'm going to answer that question in a second because I just want to briefly talk about just a few other presentations for skin sure. of color, which I've mentioned the follicular presentation. And also we'll see a red, brown, gray, like ashen, which is often mistaken as just dry skin, but it can be eczema skin and often is, or purple, gray, and very dark brown and sometimes even close to black in color. So uh, and a lot of times these things can be misdiagnosed. So as far as diet, you know, I don't do rash diets for the most part. Um, I find they're not necessary because Chinese medicine, the Chinese herbs are so effective. I rarely have to do extreme diets, right? Okay. If, if someone has um, a, a, a diagnosable food allergy and they need to stay away from that food, yes, absolutely. If you have anaphylaxis, you must not touch that food. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and then there are some, you know, some people do have sensitivity to nickel. So like a, a low nickel diet is very helpful. 
Um, and, and sometimes I see people, you know, they may have um, issues with foods that have lectins in them or, you know, soy, gluten, things like that. But what I find is that if we remove those foods and consider those foods removed permanently, we actually cause a permanent food sensitivity. Okay. And sometimes really what it is, it's just about healing the gut so that when we eat those foods, they're tolerable and they won't cause a problem. So what I do is try, sometimes we have to take foods out, but again, as I said, in my experience, it tends to be more rare. And then we slowly bring them back in. I try not to keep people off of foods. And if it's, if there is something going on that I think food wise is like really out of my scope, I know uh, I work with a couple of nutritionists who focus on skin rashes and skin and they have the same sort of you know philosophy as I do do not completely remove foods because that will result in longer term problems with food in general and i would think uh, some of those foods for that person would be a trigger for the eczema and they would choose to limit it or eliminate it themselves right yeah uh, yeah absolutely and some of them can certainly be triggers and they may need to, you know, just avoid dairy or something. Um, if right. they eat, if every single time they eat it, they flare, they're going to stop eating it. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're seeing there's this definite um, correlation here. Um, and, and then they stop. My, my hope is that they might be able to eat it again later on. Right. Once we get past this situation. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned at the very beginning of the program about allergies, eczema, and asthma being related. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. So that's the, that's the, in, in atopic eczema, we find, it's called the atopic march or the allergic march. And it's the typical progression of yeah. allergic disease. And it usually begins early in life. So it, you know, we'll see the eczema and then food allergies, allergic rhinitis, hay fever, and asthma. And the great thing about Chinese medicine is that we can work with pretty much all of these. If asthma is really intense, sometimes they do need to take medication. Um, but oftentimes we can reduce the amount of medication they're taking. And sometimes all they're end up needing is a rescue inhaler rather than having to take the daily uh, medication. Um, right. But I'm very, very careful when it comes to asthma. Um, but it certainly can be helped and, and the symptoms can be reduced. Um, some people, you know, it worsens around um, allergy, you know, spring allergies or in the winter time, things like that. And we can, we can manage them and control them. Um, and, and I mean, we all know acupuncture and Chinese herbs are fantastic for seasonal allergies, allergic rhinitis, things like that. Um, I, I don't ever say that Chinese medicine cures food allergies. There's no known cure for anaphylactic food allergies. Right. Um, that said, I've seen people, I've seen that shift in people. Um, and I definitely see people who have food sensitivities be able to tolerate their foods, like those foods again, which is wonderful. Right. Right. Yeah. I've treated a lot of food sensitivities like that. Anaphylaxis. We don't even touch those, but uh, a lot of foods are implicated in eczema and asthma. Mm -hmm. So treatment of those or the substances that make up the plants or, or meats, uh, the proteins, uh, things like that. I've, I've treated that specifically and the um, symptoms have gone way down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
how varied are the age groups that you treat is, you know, like, I, I think that, you know, does it phase out as people get older? Or are you seeing, you know, across the board? I see across the board, probably the youngest patients that I see are around six months old. And I think I think the oldest patient I've treated was in her mid seventies. Um, but you know, averages, it, it, it's hard to say the average. I, I see a lot of people in their twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties. And is there a big stress component with that or oh, just, yeah. yeah. Stress is a known trigger for, um, eczema flares. So, and you know, and that's where acupuncture comes in. So, while I don't find personally acupuncture to be extraordinarily effective for eczema, whereas some other skin diseases, it might be more helpful like acne, for example, especially if it's hormonal acne. Um, it is extraordinarily helpful to reduce stress and having a chronic disease, having uh, a skin that is itchy and, and is, is painful, just it, it just really it's so stressful you can't sleep sometimes because you're waking up scratching right. um people don't understand you they think that you're over being over dramatic um you know it's all of this it's it's everything that you know someone who has a chronic disease deals with it's very stressful there's a financial burden as well um so acupuncture is so wonderful to relieve stress in increase endorphins and enkephalins, all those happy hormones, you know, right. um, and then we're able to deal with things and focus on our self-care more efficiently when we're less stressed because there's not all that stressy noise in our head right. and we can start to make, you know, a commitment to ourselves that, you know, I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm taking my herbs or using the, the emollients two, three times a day. And it doesn't feel as overwhelming when our stress is um, managed. Right. Meditation is also very, very helpful. Sure. What would you say is the percentage of people who are coming to you for eczema that are sort of at the end of their rope, right? They've tried every steroid, uh, you know, all the Western choices. And then someone said, why don't you try acupuncture or something like that? And they, every single one of them, <laughs> <laughs> they, they've all been through it. They'll come to me. They'll say, I have tried everything. And they've often tried other natural, um, uh, methods and they've often been to other practitioners of Chinese medicine, but they still believe that they can be helped by Chinese medicine, which is, you know, really a, a wonderful thing. I think because some people will just be like, ah, it didn't work for me rather than, oh, I just didn't go to a specialist. And that's right. why maybe it didn't work for me. And when people come to me, they'll say, my friend or so-and-so said you helped them, that this is what you do and you focus on it. So maybe you will be able to help me even though so-and-so wasn't, you know, they can only help me a little bit or it just didn't work out. Right. That's great. Um, and what are like what about homework? What kind of homework do you give? Because I'm all I'm all about telling people what homework to do. Absolutely, yes, yes. Um, well, like we talked about, you know, there may be some dietary changes, and a lot of the dietary change that I like to do is to bring foods into the diet, right? Let's look at what you're eating. Are you eating enough fresh vegetables? There 
they are high in antioxidants that helps our cells to detoxify and to be healthier. And we want our skin cells to be able to turn over and be more healthy overall. So I usually recommend people eat three to four times the amount of vegetables that they're already eating. Um, and, you know, moving towards whole grains, uh, making sure that they're eating healthy fats, uh, things like that, like really bringing in the healthy stuff. I'm a huge fan of quinoa because it has a lot of really great healthy fats. Um, so doing that, cooking for yourself whenever possible, figuring out how to do that so you're not depending on out food, which can be you know, filled with preservatives or too much salt or, you know, all kinds of things that can cause inflammation. Um, so, you know, learning to care for yourself and cook for yourself is huge, huge. Yes. Sleeping enough is another one. So we talk about sleep hygiene a lot. And with, with an itchy, rashy um, skin disease, that can be hard. And one of the reasons is that we release more histamine at night than any other time of day. People are like, I don't know why I'm so itchy at night. Is it because I'm busy during the day and I'm not thinking about it? I'm like, no, 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 it has nothing to do with you or your mind. This is a function of your body. So as time goes on and we can reduce the histamine reaction in your body, you won't be as itchy at night. But sometimes we have to do additional herbs to help them to sleep at night. Sometimes I even recommend melatonin if it's really, really bad because you have to sleep. You've you got to get that rest. So much healing um, happens when you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. So much healing. Yeah. Yeah. So repair. <clears throat> yeah. And of so, course the skincare, you know, there's all kinds of skincare, bathing and um, moisturizing right. several times per day, things like that. Prepping them so that they can have a good night's sleep, as you said earlier. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I love when, I, I usually tell people, take your bath or shower at night and they can slather up, do your meditation, you know, chill down, get off the screens, start to just reduce all the internal noise from your head or and even the external if it's in your household, pull away, dim the lights, all that kind of stuff. And some people who have staph bleach baths or vinegar baths can be really helpful using colloidal oatmeal or sometimes I recommend millet baths. There's this over-the-counter you can get at CVS called Domabro. It's great for itching. You can put that in your bath. So it really just depends on the person and what they need. But I have all kinds of things that they can put into their toolkit to try out. Mm -hmm. It's quite a full uh, toolkit. So <laughs> it's how huge. do you... How do you introduce that to people? Um, I, I could be easily overwhelmed with all that. And so, you know, yeah. start us from the beginning and tell us what you would do with a, a patient who comes in, right? Is what do you start them off with? And then what do you start to add and when? Mm, okay. So, you know, it, it does vary by the patient and what their needs are, but everybody, I, I the first visit is an hour and a half. Um, and I take that much time so that I can do a very thorough interview. Um, they will send in photos. Now I'm all telehealth. I, I was in brick and mortar, but with COVID I went to telehealth. And I had been doing some telehealth prior with dermatology, um, but now I'm fully telehealth. So I have very specific strict instructions on how to take photos of your skin. And then they send it into me ahead of time. If I need them to retake certain views, it allows me time to tell them what I need to see, what wasn't clear and then they can send me new photos. Um, so I take an hour and a half, we, we talk a lot, and there's a lot of education that I give. 
Um, it is definitely overwhelming. There's a lot of, of information that I give. Um, and so one of the things that I do is I always send a follow-up email and I, I write an outline of things that we have discussed to remind them how to do things and when to do them. Like you're not going to do a bleach bath every single day of the week. Maybe you're going to do it three times a week. But if I say do bleach bath and that's all I say, and then I don't give written instructions or a handout or an email, someone might think, oh, I should do this every day or three times a day. No, 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 no. So I try to be as specific as possible. And even with that, sometimes people don't still, they still don't understand. You know how we are all are with email. We just scan the email. <laughs> Right. And even if we've heard it and then we have it in email, there can still be a little miscommunication or misunderstanding. Um, but everyone will get that email and we'll I'll, I'll put in the diet. If I have food recommendations, they go in. Um, I have PDFs that I send over. Um, I'll give them links to websites where to purchase, you know, certain things. If I think that someone will do better with CeraVe or I think they'll do better with Eucerin, I'll tell them. I'll be like, look, you got to play around with it. Um, one might work better for you. And then the other funny thing about eczema, something that worked topically beautifully for a period of time will suddenly stop working. So having different things around or, you know, it's it's not necessarily something they have done. A lot of people really take like, I did something wrong. I did something wrong. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, this is the nature of the disease. Don't worry. Let's just try something else. It's not a big deal. And then they'll feel better. Um, you know, give them the topical herbal treatments. Um, some of them I have to have shipped to them. Some I direct them to a, a website, um, depending on the brand that I'm using, um, that they need. Um, and yeah, and then, and then because we're meeting monthly, and this is really important, is the regular meeting. Because when they have questions they can ask, we have a good month-long time period for them to have used and tried things. And then we can discuss what's working and what's not working. And I'm always available to them in between treatments as well. Like if you have any questions at all, make sure that you reach out to me. You know, right. some, some practitioners would be like, oh my gosh, they, these people are way too high maintenance. For me, the way that I look at it is, if I don't help you, then I'm not doing my job. If I think we need to jump on a call that's paid in between the month long, we'll do that. But it is actually really quite rare that we need to do it. Usually it's easy for me to answer an email. Very easy. With something like that, does it take, like, um, is it a three to six month time frame? Like, what can people you know, expect in three months, six months, a year out from, from when they start. Yeah. So let me just go over. I, I ha actually have some notes because I want to tell you exactly how this works. So, so there are phases of treatment and it does take quite some time. Um, so first of all, most of my patients will experience relief from discomfort within four to six weeks, and then it continues to get better over time. So even though the full course of treatment could take up to a year, they get better and better over time. And then, right. as I said earlier, this is a chronic relaxing condition. So sometimes we have to deal with flares as they come up. Maybe they moved or they went to their sister's house who has a cat and they always flare around the cat. But we have to, you know, handle the flare, blah, right. blah, blah. Um, but generally, I say it takes eight to 12 months. Some tougher cases take longer. Um, but the great thing 
is that most of my patients, once we've completed all of the phases, will go into remission for many years to come. Oh, that's great. And that is a little bit different, actually a lot different than Dupixin, where, you know, people can um, get, they'll have reduced symptoms. Some people go into remission, a lot of them do not. Um, I, I actually wish that I kept statistics that I'm just not a statistic type of practitioner, but um, I've taken a lot of um, of the free sort of um, practitioner seminars from the people who make Dupixit and they, you know, obviously they run studies. But when I look at it, I was like, wow, I know that I get better results than this in right. the same period of time. They have to stay on that medicine. We don't have to stay on Chinese herbs. You right. might need it again later, but you're not on it for the rest of your life. Right. That's my goal. That is absolutely my goal. Um, so the first phase of treatment generally is about six months, and I'm focusing on controlling those uncomfortable symptoms, clearing the skin of itching, pain, the redness, dryness, reducing the size and duration of the um, of, of lesions, um, if there's oozing, things like that, um, and managing flare-ups can happen during that time. And then the second phase of treatment can be about three months or a little bit more. And then I'm going to focus on um, stabilizing the skin. And then if there are any flares, we, we can get those under control usually very, very quickly. And then the third phase of treatment, and this is the final, we are, the skin is doing really well. We continue to repair the skin and nourish the skin, harmonize the root cause of the energetic disharmony to prevent flare-ups and to keep them in remission for as long as possible. I find that when we skip that last one, because people will be like, oh, my skin's great. It's never been this good in my whole life. I'm done. And I'll be like, oh, you might want to go, you know, for a little while longer. Let's let's nourish. If we skip this nourishing phase, I might see you again in six months. Right. Um, Look, and I understand for some people, like financially, it's just like you get to a point and you're like, I've never been this great in my whole entire life. I'm done. And like, I can't put out more cash for this. So I get it. Um, and usually once we get to that third phase, the herbs, um, they don't have to be customized anymore. Oftentimes I can use prepared medicines, classical formulas for those. And those are much, much less expensive than the custom formulas. Um so people really have to be ready to commit for the entire length of time um, and be ready for some ups and downs. And the vast majority of people who come to me are absolutely ready because they've lived with this already. They know, they already know. Um, and then as they're going through it and they're feeling results so quickly and the results are so effective for them, they're just like very, very thrilled. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can, when you think of all the things that you've talked about, the losing sleep because of the itching and, you know, maybe you're wearing long sleeves and it's 90 degrees outside because you don't want people to see that the crux of your arm is all inflamed yeah. and red and, and oozing and maybe even bleeding and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But, you know, when you talk about, yeah, it's a commitment, but at the end result is that you're living this healthier life and you're getting back aspects of your life that kind of were missing for a period of time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel ready to take some, I think we had at least one question that I saw in there. Sure. Uh, 
Uh, Hillary asked, do you recommend Aquaphor? She said, I love to use it, but often um, wonder if mineral oil could be problematic. So, you know, it's so, yeah, it's so interesting. The, the Chinese medicine um, practitioner who I took an extensive training with says absolutely no mineral oil. Don't use it. It's not good for the skin. Modern medicine loves it because it, it seals the skin. And I find that it really is person to person. One of the big issues that I personally have uh, with, with Aquaphor is the petroleum because of the environmental issue with it. Um, if people can, um, if they're okay with uh, beeswax, um, there's a product called Emily Skin Soothers, which is a wonderful ointment. Um, but yeah. it does have beeswax in it. Some people have a propolis allergy, but I, I've seen it work wonders, absolute wonders um, for it. And and um, what brand did they say? Aquaphor is, oh, that's its own thing. Yeah. I think that's not from Eucerin. Eucerin has a really thick, different. Yeah. Um, cre there are some really great thick creams out there like bland emollients so if they're not so happy with the mineral oil they could use something like uh eucerin has uh like there's a jar it's like a tub um there's right. cerave and there's also ceramedics that i really like ceramedics has fewer preservatives and um sort of you know some people just don't like certain ingredients that are in cerave um, so they prefer the ceramics. And for some people, actually, these things just flare them. I have some patients who cannot use CeraVe at all. Like, they just right. can't touch it. Um, so I, I would say I have probably never recommended Aquaphor. I, I gravitate towards other things. I, I know that if my boyfriend were watching and asking his go-to all the time, and I he thinks that coconut oil cures everything what's your take on coconut oil so i can just be like can you shut the hell up about the damn <laughs> coconut oil <laughs> she's gonna go so, uh, yeah you know i mean everyone is different but i will say for the vast majority of people who i see with eczema coconut oil is not good for them it's actually right. dries them out they feel more dry um it does have some antibacterial properties, so maybe it can be helpful. Um, it is comedogenic, so if you have, you know, any kind of acne, I do do not recommend it at all. Even with rosacea, I would not recommend it. Yeah. Um, and then if you have weepy eczema, it might not be the best the best thing. I if you want to use an oil for eczema, I say sunflower oil because it's also really good for itch. Olive oil. Um, yeah. jojoba oil, these types of oils are much better. Almond oil, avocado oil is so wonderful. And people have various allergies to everything I mentioned. Someone has an allergy to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I love olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> How could you not? Yeah, that's good for everything. I like it internally. I like it on my skin. <laughs> but I do also love the Emily Skin Soothers. I think it's, a, I use it for like dry, chopped winter skin and mm -hmm. um, just so many things that I used it for. Um, Another line that's on the open market is ZZI Dermatology. It's Z-I-Z-A-I -I Dermatology. And you can go straight to their website. They have creams and ointments. And it's very clearly stated 
what type of presentation to use for each of them. Um, they have a really, really wonderful, wonderful line. Okay, excellent. Um, I'm looking at the time and we have to start wrapping things up, but I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your knowledge with us. I think that this is so great for our listeners to hear all of this and to also let them know that because you are doing telehealth, you can treat across the country mm -hmm. and advise people on how to manage. And we've linked your contact info in our link tree for the practical medicine podcast that they can find your information there and reach out to you and tell you, you know, find out more information. Um, you so much. Um, just real quick, our next episode, we're going to be welcoming Dr. Martha Lucas, and she will be talking about self-care, acupressure, and home care for in-between your acupuncture treatments. And then the following week, we'll be talking to Daniel Bernstein about insomnia. And then we have our special episode number 20. Um, we want to thank A Shared Universe for the podcast studio and patching Juliet into us. Uh, remind everyone that you can watch replays on Facebook and YouTube, as well as listen to episodes on your favorite podcast platforms, such as Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Audible. There might be others out there that I don't even know where we are yet. So thanks everyone for tuning in. And thank you so much again, Juliet. I really appreciate it. I hope you'll thanks come on. Thanks for having me. Too. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks again. Have a great night and thank Nate again. <laughs> I will. <laughs>The contents presented during the Practical Medicine Podcast include information about various modalities that exist to achieve health and wellness and are for informational purposes only. You acknowledge and agree that the following disclaimers and warnings shall apply to all content presented. The podcast contains the opinions of Dr. Robert Balco, D-A-C-L-A-C, and Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki, D-A-C-M-L-A-C, and the guests of their show. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding any medical condition. The views expressed in the Practical Medicine Podcast are our own and do not represent those of all licensed acupuncture professionals. Always seek the help of your own acupuncturist or medical provider to determine your best course of action. You may want to use the information presented as a supplement to better understand your diagnosis or treatment, but it should not be the sole thing that you use to make important medical decisions. Do not use the content of the podcast in lieu of medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking care because of something you have heard on this podcast. Privacy is important to us. Thus, all people, places, and scenarios have been changed where applicable to protect privacy and maintain confidentiality.